is from the book of Luke, and we're reading verses 1 to 15. It's entitled, The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to him, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is God's word to us today. Well, if you have a Bible, do turn to that passage, uh, Luke uh, chapter 16, or in your meeting guides. That'd be great. Uh, Jesus uses uh, a a picture that's familiar with you. If you've ever watched The Apprentice, uh, you've imagined yourself being Sir Alan Sugar, saying you're fired. Uh, It's it's that image he's using. He's he's talking about somebody who's getting the sack. Uh, Not nicely being made redundant, but actually getting fired. Uh, Jesus uses a story that's perhaps confused lots of people over the years uh, because uh, at one point the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. You're like, what is going on here? Well, what Jesus is doing is speaking to his disciples. Notice it starts with that. Jesus told his disciples. So this is a lesson for disciples. What is Jesus saying to disciples He's saying this, here is how you can take it with you. When we die, we can't take it with us. We, we can't take anything with us. We don't take our rings. We don't take our houses, our cars. We don't take anything with us. But Jesus, here is how you can take it with you. So uh, how you can be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And he tells this story that often has confused people. So we're going to look at how Jesus t- tells his disciples how they can take it with them. But we're going to see first, there's a, a confusing parable that you need to understand. 
And it's about a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And, and it comes to the, man, the, the owner's uh, kind of notice eventually, I'm being fiddled here. The man who I've hired as my business manager is fleecing me completely. And the guy who's doing the fleecing, the guy who's the crook, says to himself, oh no, he's found out at last. He's had a look at the books, or maybe somebody's told him, I'm about to get fired, and what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I'll call in the customers, and I'll, uh, I'll basically cheat like mad, which is what he does. He calls in people. Verse uh, eight, he called in, uh, verse five, each one of his master's debtors. Jesus just gives us a couple of illustrations. He asked the first, how much do you owe? 3,000 litres of olive oil. I'll tell you what, write it down, get the bill out, make it 1,500. Then the second, how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat. I tell you what, take your bill, make it 24. And of course, no doubt, Jesus implying would have done that with everybody. He basically cheats. And the people he's dealing with, they cheat too. They're all part of the scheme. He's like, look, I tell you what, you know, you, know, you ever come across it, pay me cash. And if you don't need an invoice, that's great. You know, that kind of, you know what that means, don't you? You know what that means. This guy's doing that on a massive scale. Because he thinks, well, when I get fired, I need friends. How can I make friends? Well, look. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'll do you a favour. You do me a favour. It's, it's almost like Del Boy on speed or, uh, you know, Private Walker from Dad's Army. You know, it's, it's this guy's a complete crook. And the people he deals with, they're cheat as well. So when, he, when you read in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager, you like, what is going on? Well, look, he's not commending him for being a cheat and a liar. What he's worked out is, he's gone, as he's come to fire him, he's realised, you've acted very cleverly. I was going to fire you, but before I could fire you, you've used my money to make yourself a bunch of mates when I fire you. That's clever. It's like, you've worked this out. You've acted very, in Jesus' term, shrewdly. You knew what was coming and you did something about it. That's very clever. And what Jesus goes on to say is, look, the people in this world, there's just one point of comparison in this story. Not all stories that Jesus tells just have one point of comparison, but this story has one point of comparison. It's this, the man knows what's coming and does something about it. Jesus is not commending lying or cheating or fiddling or nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He's not doing, he's not saying that's good at all. What he's saying is in this world, you'll see people, if they know what's coming, they do something about it. So you, my disciples, there is one thing certain now, Live in the light of it. You're going to heaven. Live in the light of it. Uh, I, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, the one point of comparison is clear, but then when Jesus says that, that also kind of is quite confusing, isn't it? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Now, like in the common sort of picture, isn't it, is like, St. Peter is at the pearly gates. Uh, 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 is Jesus saying, 
basically slip a few fivers around and about so that when they die and they go up there, they say, hey, Peter, one of my friends is coming. Do you, you know, like, can you let him in? It's Jesus encouraging us, in a sense, to be part of the mafia. <laughs> basically, you know, bribe people so that, you know, they have, a, they have a word before you get there. No, of course he's not saying that. Of course he's not saying that. What he's saying is this. Look, you're going to heaven. Heaven can be a richer place if you put your treasure there. How do you put your treasure there? Well, basically, you use the wealth God has entrusted you with to touch people's lives, to shape people's lives. You can sense a little bit. Jesus is a bit disappointed with his disciples. I tell you the truth. The people of this world are more shrewd than the children of light. Far too many of my disciples don't live life distinctively differently. They don't use the wealth God has entrusted them with to touch people's lives. Now, let me give you an illustration. Martin's got a, a super new book coming out. And, we, and you, in a couple of weeks' time, we will give you a copy. It's called So Loved. It's a great little book. It's going to be exciting to see how God uses it in many, many lives. It's based on a series of talks that Martin and I and others were involved with a few years ago. In fact, Mike Crestle, I think you became a Christian during these. We, we looked at the, the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world uh, whoever believes in him, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we, we took each word one week at a time. And Martin's written that up into a, a brilliant little book. And we, we I say that, that's coming out soon. But if you're so like, well, that was the origin of the book. But actually, it's more complicated. Than that. Well, why was Martin here in the first place preaching a series of sermons on John 3.16? Because he came here to gain extra experience, get some training, working with me for a while. And uh, we kept him. It's great. Um, but he was here because he came here on a training scheme. But how did he get to be here on a training scheme? Because a lady called Eileen generously donated to the training fund. Eileen only came to this church once. And I met her a couple of times. Because someone in our church, Bruce and Sally Pibworth, particularly Bruce, Eileen was a widow who lived opposite them. She's a Christian lady, and she and her husband hadn't been able to have children. But throughout her life, she'd given money away, generously. And at the very end of her life, she came to write her will, and she gave half her house to our training fund. And because, and she, and she died not long after that, all of a sudden we had the ability to hire trainees, assistants, and we've had a series of them in our church because of the training fund that Eileen, as it were, kick-started. So which led to Martin coming here, which led him to preaching John 3.16, which has led to this book. Now, here's the thing. I became a Christian through reading a book written by a man called Derek Prime. And about 25 years later, I met him and I was able to thank him for writing the book that God used to bring me to become a Christian. It was a really lovely moment. And my eyes welled up and his eyes welled up. I said, like, Derek, I thank you. Thank you. Now that is going to be happening to Martin, God willing, in years to come. There'll be people say, I've read this book and you're Martin Salter. Can I thank you so much? And Martin's going to say, well, thank God that you became a Christian. Can I tell you, when you get to heaven, go meet Eileen. And tell Eileen that you're so grateful for her too. Grateful to God for Eileen because she's the one that gave the money that enabled me to come to grace. And I took part in the series of sermons and turned it into a book which you became a Christian by. Now, you imagine being Eileen in heaven. 
It's great, isn't it? There'll be people coming to heaven for years, decades, maybe centuries to come, who say, oh, you're Eileen, and I thank God for you, because all the way down the line. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, invest your wealth, your life, your money, your talents. Be generous, because you're going to touch lives. And in the only place that really matters, heaven, there'll be people saying, oh, you are Eileen. You are. I can't wait to meet John Bunyan. Because I want to say, John Bunyan, when you were stuck in that prison on that smelly old river in Bedford, you had no idea how many lives you touched. John, I want to thank God for you. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about bribery and corruption being a good thing. He's saying, look, by the grace of God, you're heaven bound. Make sure your life is shaped by that. Now there's a bit of a warning, isn't there? Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be also dishonest with much. So you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Who will trust you with true riches? He's warning his disciples here, isn't he? Saying, like, come on, don't be like all the people around you. All around you, people basically keep their wealth, give a little bit away. You'd be very different from that. God has entrusted all of us. We, we are. This generation of Britons is the wealthiest generation that's ever lived in this nation. Many, many of us are property owners. There's never been the property owning as we've experienced in our, in our lifetimes. The, the, the overall wealth of the nation and our own personal wealth is massive compared to our forefathers. You, you know this. You think back to your granddad or grandma. When my granddad died, he just about enough left enough, as they did in those days, to pay for his own funeral. And we all got a keepsake. My keepsake was his broken, doesn't work, grandfather clock. It's at my loft. Well, that was it. That's all they left because they had nothing else to leave. They didn't own their houses. They had no wealth. But we're all very different, aren't we? We've all now got decisions to make. Who am I going to leave my house to? And how can I, how can I be generous with my wealth? Jesus is saying, look, you've been entrusted with much. So come on, be generous. That's what he's saying to his disciples. And he even challenges us to make a choice. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's a choice to make as a Christian, isn't it? And Jesus said, when you make that choice, do it. Make the choice of how you're going to live in the light of what you know. You know what's going to happen. You're going to heaven. Enrich heaven. Enrich heaven with people's lives touched. Now, how you do that is between you and God. It may be a mission organization. Could be the church you belong to. There's all kinds of ways you can enrich people's lives. You might even say, well, I haven't got much to give. But Jesus told the story, showed out a little lady, an old lady, who just put in a couple of two little coins into the box. And she touched people's lives. We can touch people's lives. But we can get so we can think ourselves generous when we're not. We can easily deceive ourselves. Now, it's very hard for me at this point. How concrete should I be? Because I want to sort of be like so vague that everybody goes, oh, that's nice. We've got to make it real, haven't we? We've got to ground it. Is it going to make any difference to you? And Jesus is worried. He's saying too often it doesn't. Disciples don't look that different from those who are not disciples. That's the point of the story. One thing's coming be generous with the wealth you've been entrusted with. 
But that is just the story in Luke 16. Luke 16 is, sits as one sort of, sort of theme story, but with the two different audiences. Up until this point, Jesus has been talking, if you're a disciple. But then notice in verse 14, there's another audience, those who are not yet his disciples. He talks, uh, talks about Pharisees. Now, they were ultra-religious people. And the, Luke comments, they love money. They heard all this, were sneering at Jesus. So Jesus then talks to them. He said to them. So here's a different kind of message. First message, disciples, how you can take it with you. But now those who are not disciples, and then what it's basically saying is now you better listen to this carefully. Listen to this carefully. You're not yet a disciple. And what he does, the first thing he says is, look, be careful because your religion can blind you from what you really love. You're very religious and you would be saying, well, like, what do you love most? Oh, I love God and the Bible. But Jesus says, hold on, what about what's going on in your heart? You're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others because you're very religious. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Though they said they loved God, actually in their innermost heart, they loved their money, their wealth. Jesus is saying, look, be careful. Religion can blind you to what you really love. You think you love God because some of your life is sort of orientated around Bible and church and stuff. But no, you love wealth. And then he moves on in, in verse uh, 16. He said, and religion in one sense can blind you to your deep need. They used to read this book. The, and, and Jesus sums it up as the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It's easier for earth and heaven to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Why were people forcing their way into the kingdom of heaven? Because as they listened to the Bible explained, they began to realize this. I need God's forgiveness. The biggest need in my life is to be put right with God. I have broken God's law. And Jesus points out an, an illustration of breaking God's law, verse 18. He talks about adultery. And he's saying, you're blinded to the fact that you break God's law. This is one of the great dangers of being religious. We think we keep God's law, but deep down we're all breakers of God's law. And it had been preached. And all around them, people were going, I have broken God's law. I need God's forgiveness. But these people were still saying, no, I've kept God's law. I'm okay, really. I don't need any of this. And Jesus is saying, listen up carefully. If you're very religious, you can be blind to what you really love. You can be blind to your real need. And then he tells a story, a parable, as it were. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, fine linen, lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You kind of, it's a grotesque, horrifying story, isn't it? And then what Jesus is going on to say is this. Don't let this life fool you. In this life, you could be like the rich man. You could have everything. You live in luxury. Life's great. Nice holidays. Good bank balance, nice pension pot, 
You, you can have it. But don't let that fool you. Just because you have it in this life does not mean you're ready for the life to come. Notice then how Jesus tells the story. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Although he was a beggar, although he seemed to live a, a very sad, difficult life, he was right with God. And when he died, he went to heaven, Abraham's side. And the rich man, he wasn't right with God. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, when he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, Lazarus by his side. Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tongue of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm, I'm in agony. And she said, can't you understand? Do you not see this? Don't judge the future by what you're living now. You religious people are blinded to what you really love. You're blinded to your need. And you're blinded by the affluence of the life you live to think it's all going to be fine in the end. And Jesus, in one sense, brings this very powerful story. And and Abraham replies, no, there's a gulf fixed. There's no movement after death from one to the other. You're either heaven or hell. And it's fixed at death and you can't change it after death. And the man says, well, well, I beg you. Send Lazarus back to my family. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will also not come to this place. And that is what Abraham says. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus, in one sense, is beginning to talk about his own future, isn't he? He is going to be the one that rises from the dead. But he's saying, look, too easily is think like this. If only God did something spectacular, I would believe it. I've met people, you know, oh, you believe in God. Let God show it. Come on, let's go and you know, show a miracle or something. She said, you think the problem is the lack of evidence. The problem is your own heart. You're so deeply prejudiced. That even if someone did rise from the dead, and he did, you still wouldn't believe it. We think the problem is out there when the problem is in here. Jesus is challenging these really religious people that they are gripped by an inner blindness, an inner bias, an inner prejudice, and they are in great danger. Now, when you, when you hear these two parables... What Jesus wants is both audiences to hear what the other is told. So the Pharisees have heard what the disciples were told and they sneered at it. But the disciples also need to hear what the Pharisees are told so they realize what's at stake. Uh, When we talk about Eileen leaving money to a training fund and you'll be able to meet Eileen in the future and go, isn't that nice? Yeah, it's nice, but it's far more serious than that. What's at stake? Well, humanly speaking... Eternity is at stake. If Derek Prime hadn't written the book, well, humanly speaking, I wouldn't be right with God. If, same with Martin's book. If Martin hadn't written the book, there would be people, humanly speaking, who would never hear about getting right with God. And you can trace it all back. What, what's at stake when Eileen was generous was not just, oh, isn't it nice, but isn't it serious? Isn't it massive? 
My disciples, do you understand? You're heaven bound, but there are others hell bound. And yes, their problem is that they're blind and prejudiced. But don't you trust God's grace? Can't you be involved in sowing seeds of eternal life in their lives? Those of us are disciples, it's never just a game. It's not, we're not just playing fun things. It's really serious, isn't it? And for those of us not disciples, it's easy to read this and go, well, Jesus has been a bit nasty here, isn't he? I mean, isn't he just kind of manipulating people? Isn't he just kind of using psychological trickery to make them feel guilty? No, not at all. At this point, Jesus is acting like a fire alarm. A fire alarm, you don't blame the fire alarm. You go, oh, that noise. I wish it would go away. You go, fire alarm, get out of the building. We're in danger. For Jesus not to have said this, this, this parable would have been really like, my disciples are going to heaven and you lot will find out too late. <laughs> See, he could have said nothing. And these religious people would have found out too late. So Jesus is saying, look, I am as concerned about you as I am my disciples. My disciples are going to heaven. I want them to live in the light of it. But I'm also concerned about you, not my disciples. Now, here's what Luke does. He never tells us what happens, does he? We don't read a little story where Luke says, and in the light of this, some of Jesus' disciples became more generous. Not here's some figures from the bank balances or, you know, here's the here's the synagogue accounts with a few more generous gifts in it. We, we don't know if any disciples made any difference and we don't know if any of these Pharisees changed their minds. If any of them kind of woke up at the sound of what Jesus was saying, oh, my goodness, hell is real. How can I escape? We don't know. And why don't we know? Because Luke never wants us to come and read this in any kind of, oh, how nice or how interesting. Oh, that's a great story. He leaves it open because he's not speaking to those disciples and those Pharisees. He's speaking to you. Because in this room today, there are disciples and those not yet disciples. And in one sense, Luke is saying, look, there is a heaven are you, are you, if you're going that way and you know you're forgiven, are you going to live in the light of it? And if you're not yet a disciple, listen carefully to what Jesus said. And in one sense, he's saying, what's your response? It's academic other people's responses, isn't it? Now, on the plus side, what that means is that you too can be an Eileen. You too could be an Eileen with, with what God has trusted to you. You could shape people's lives by your generous life. On the other side of the coin, you don't have to be a rich man. You don't have to be a rich man who ends up in hell or a rich woman. Or if it put it for that matter, a poor man or a poor woman to end up under the judgment of God. What Jesus is doing is lovingly, kindly, graciously, is like generously speaking to us so that we might have peace with God, come to him and have our sins forgiven and be sure of our future. In one sense, Jesus is speaking to every single one of us. And what we have to think is, what is my response going to be?